God willing, all of us are going to make it to 59 and a half. And eventually you'll get to the point where you need to retire. And retirement dollars, you can't loan, you can't take out a loan for retirement, right? Like you have to have that money put away. And Social Security is not helping you. The government's not helping you, sorry. So you have to have that money put away and you need that money from the time that you retire to the day that you pass away. And if you want to pass on any money to your family, you have to have even more money um, in order to you know, make that happen. So that kind of speaks to like what you need to do now to prepare for that time where you need all that money, that, that nest egg. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Wallet Talks podcast, where we are exploring ways to have better conversations about money so we can make better decisions with our money. I am your host, Jason Alexander. Have you been wondering how to get your money right? Stressing every month with never ending lists of financial demands? Or are you just tired of not knowing where all your money is going? Did you know that Wallet Coach has a solution? Wallet Coach offers one to one coaching sessions to get your money back into shape. Wallet Coach was formed to help everyday people get financially secure and free by teaching a four step approach to money management. Our favorite testimony is one client who saved up $1,000 as an emergency fund within six months while only making $1,800 a month. If you are curious how WalletCoach can help you in similar ways, sign up for a free 15-minute consultation on our website, thewalletcoach.com. That's thewalletcoach.com. Or text the word COACH to 470-606-8949 to get a link to schedule. Now back to the show. Well, guys, welcome to the latest episode of Wallet Talks podcast. I am joined with my beautiful co-host, Tiffany Alexander, and we're talking to a very special person, the man who created Better Wallet, Mark. He has such a great story. We're really excited to hear what he has to say. He's going to teach us about having a better wallet, of course, but investing in how to um, just expand our financial situation or grow our financial situation. So welcome, Mark. How you doing? Good, good. Happy to be on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're, we're glad to have you. And where, where are you from? Where are you right now? I'm in Philadelphia, um, but I'm originally from small town, Pennsylvania, um, central PA over near Pittsburgh. And uh after some years of being there, went to school in Central PA, and then moved back to uh, back to Philadelphia. So I was born and somewhat raised in my adulthood um, in, in Philadelphia. Okay, my cool. family, my mom's side of the family is from from West Philly. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. where my biological dad lives. Okay, cool, cool. Probably know each other. <laughs> yeah, they probably do. If you say the street name, you know, they'll, they'll know, or you say girls high, or that's where my yep. mom and sister went. And I, I forgot the other schools, but um, mm-hmm. all right. Well, Mark, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, tell me, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to form Better Water. Yeah, definitely. So um, my background, you know, I, I come from, you know, pretty humble beginnings, went through uh, foster care, um, immediately after being born. Uh, both my parents, uh, biological parents, were kind of going through drug addiction at that time when I was born. 
And I was immediately placed in, into foster care, as I mentioned, and I spent 13 years in foster care. So most of my childhood was group homes and bouncing from house to house. And frankly, it's the only thing I knew. So I couldn't really compare it to anyone else. I was just like, oh, all little kids do this. Um, and realized <laughs> later that that was not the that was not a fact. Um, so, you know, at age of 13, I was adopted by um, a family in central PA, as I mentioned, um, and they gave me a, you know, pretty good foundation, uh, not financially, but more of a mindset and, you know, mm. teaching me about, you know, going off to college because they weren't able to, to do that because of, you know, their parents passing away really early in their lives. So they, you know, had the dream of me going off to school and everything. And, um, you know, they really focused on academics, right? So did really well in, in high school, albeit it was, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the worst public schools in the country. Um, and that's actually a, a fact. I looked it up. <laughs> but um, the high school wasn't too great. Um, the town that I grew up in was pretty low income. Most people live below the poverty line. But again, like, you don't know if you're a kid. Yeah. You know, you're you're raising the projects and you know that's just life um so I always wanted to be different as a kid I always wanted to do you know differently than what the guys were doing down the street so yeah. for me you know I did well you know academically and I decided to apply to college and frankly I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know what I was going to get out of college I didn't even know if I was going to graduate but I said hey I'm going to go so went off to college, and I'm really short in innings, but yeah, went off to college, um, and I found myself on campus trying to figure out how I was going to pay for school. Um, I didn't know anything about student loans or student debt or um, anything of that nature. Um, put myself through school by literally begging for money um, <laughs> at the student aid <laughs> office. They probably still remember who I am because I used to walk in. They're like, oh, Mr. Russell, you're back again. I'm like, I need my money. I need my money. Um, so doing that as well as um, other gigs, you know, cutting hair as well as, you know, I was actually like, like selling plasma for a little bit. That's a completely other story. I did everything straight I hustle. could. Straight <laughs> hustle. Anything I could do legally, <laughs> I was doing. Um, so I, mean, I found myself grinding through and eventually I graduated. But I, I tell you all of this because from the time that I was born, to my professional world, I tried to build a, a platform of everything I learned in between, right? So after college, um, as you mentioned in college, I was an economics major. Um, after college, I ended up working for this company by the name of Vanguard, right? And I didn't even know who they were. I remember telling my mom, like, oh, I'm going to this, like, security, investment security company. She's like, ADT? Like, what, like, house <laughs> security? I'm like, no, like, I think it's, like, investing like wall street kind of stuff and she's like oh you should apply for another job i don't know if that's like what you want to do <laughs> i'm like and i started applying for other jobs but like you know i took a chance to say, okay well it can't be that bad of a company and i could probably go back to philadelphia and maybe meet my biological dad one day and you know reconnect with my biological mom um and you know my my adopted mom said okay go for it so um you know the the entire platform of, of better wallet is going from foster care to Wall Street and everything in between, everything that I learned and trying to teach those folks that weren't given this financial education as a kid, like I wasn't, in order for them to better their, their wallet and better their financial lives. So that's a long-winded um, way of 
answering your question, how did I come to form Better Wallet? <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. Um, so, so it sounds like you were saying you were saying when you were growing up, you you didn't know any other lifestyle or any other mm-hmm. way. Um, so, do you think that being a child in foster care um, had an influence on how you view and um, handle money? I would think so, um, because in foster care, one thing that most foster children or the foster youth would agree with is. When you're in foster care, you're constantly thinking, okay, I want a better life for myself. I want to, yeah, I want something that is different from what my biological parents were doing because they clearly weren't doing the right thing. Mm. Um, so you're just constantly trying to do that. You're trying to improve yourself. Um, and then after foster care and, and living in like a low income area, you know, you're you're constantly, you know, seeing things. You know, I used to read encyclopedias growing up. That was like my thing. And I would constantly hear about, you know, different people and what they were doing. And like, I would watch TV. I remember watching like Oprah um, growing up. My mom loved Oprah. I would watch Oprah and they were, she would talk about like, you know, people from different states. And again, like I'm from a small town, Pennsylvania. So like, I couldn't really, like there wasn't a mall around. There wasn't, I had cornfields, right? So like, Everything I saw on TV, everything that I saw, you know, in the encyclopedia, I wanted. Mm. But I knew that the only way I could get there is if I were able to manage my money wisely, if I went off to college, if I network with the right people, you know, outside of the, you know, one mile, mile radius of my, my town. So, yeah, to answer your question, going through foster care and, um, you know, growing up in a lower income, you know, area, you're constantly just trying to find ways to to live the life that you've always dreamed of. Mm. So, 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 Mark, um, let's let's expand on that a little bit. Like, so, what you, you have all these sources of uh, financial success, and you can go in multiple different directions. You know, you mm-hmm. could, you know, Oprah. You could have went down the TV production kind of kind of route. How did you narrow down to what financial success success looks like to you, like? Yeah. And that's the thing. So growing up, I was always happy, right? Like my dad worked in the warehouse. He worked 16 hour days, right? And his job was to move boxes from one conveyor belt to another. That was his job. My mom, for as long as I've known, has been retired, right? So we've always been happy as a family. Mm -hmm. So it was never the financial success that I've always been like, you know, going after. It's always, it was always how can I become more happy? You know, how can I, and like, what does, what does that mean to me mm-hmm. beyond the, the dollars? You know, the dollars are cool, but mm-hmm. like, I've also learned that, you know, dollars can eat at a family. It could, you know, rip a family apart. So, you know, even though we lived in that, in that, you know, world, we were always just, you know, happy. Um, so I'll kind of put that out there over time, I think I got to the point where I was just like, okay, well, if I don't manage my finances, right, I'm going to be unhappy. Like, I'm not going to be happy at all. (laughs) And it wasn't until I went to Penn State where I was looking for money and I was trying to pay for my education where I was like, oh, wow, like, this sucks. Like, if you don't have any money to do things and 
I don't have $20,000, but man, it would be nice if I had $20,000 this year to pay for my education. So I don't have to beg in the student aid office and I can focus on the things that I really need to do, like passing my classes, right? Mm-hmm. So over time that developed, um, and then, you know, the whole debt-free journey, and I realized that it was, you know, so it, it was more of the lack of money that was causing unhappiness in a way, um, but it, it was like more of the dire situations. But growing up, we never really thought about it because we just thought the world was, you know, you, you had a small sum of money and that's what you had to do to kind of manage but once you get yeah. to the point where you actually need a lot of money, that's when we're just like, oh, shoot, like yeah. that is causing unhappiness. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. No, it, it, yeah, no, it does. Like, like I, I would say another way is, is that you are always striving to reach your potential. But mm-hmm. I want to say, you know, kudos to to the parents, because it's to me, it says something about if, a, if you're growing up and you always were happy, even though you were living in a low income environment. Mm-hmm. they they made the best of what they had mm-hmm. and it right. didn't influence your stress level like you right. weren't stressed as a as a kid even though they might have been stressed at night flipping through the bill on uh, the bills and stuff <laughs> right. like that yeah. but that, that's to me that's that sounds like great parenting so um yeah so my my dad was uh born and raised in Mobile, alabama which is as south as you can really get um mm-hmm. in terms of culture um and you know, like that was just the, the life that we had to live. You know, my mom was a high security prison guard. My dad was, you know, not only a Southern gentleman, but, you know, worked in a warehouse and he was in the military. Um, so you kind of combine all, all that together. We grew up in a pretty disciplined uh, household. Um, so that was, that was quite fascinating. Um, but, you know, they gave me a good upbringing. I, I can't lie about that. Um, and, you know, when I went off to college, I said, you know, you have to do what you need to do in order to pay for school. Um, so <laughs> that's what, uh, <laughs> so that was, uh, that was interesting. It was more of me being hardheaded because I didn't want to join the ROTC because <laughs> um, everyone in my family, everyone in my family is in the Navy, but me. Um, and I said, hey, like, I'm going to figure it out. You know, a hardheaded 18 year old kid that didn't know anything about the world trying to pay for schooling during the middle of a the great recession 2008 2009 I know that time yeah fun times fun times yes so how does your why fit into the bigger picture of what you want for your future yeah so my why um is is twofold um number one you know I the father I, I keep talking to you guys about I mean he was my best friend growing up, you know, again, like I didn't have a father for 13 years of my life. So as soon as he came into my world, like I obviously gravitated towards him. So, you know, we would do a lot growing up and that was like, you know, my superhero. So, you know, at the end of my freshman year, uh, which freshman year was tough all along um, or just going through the different semesters after freshman year, long story short, I ended up getting kicked out of Penn state crazy story um but the short of it is that they wanted an additional thousand dollars we didn't have a thousand dollars like no one's just gonna come up with a thousand you know what i mean so you mean it doesn't grow on trees exactly exactly and they're like well yep you know after a thousand dollars we're gonna kick you out so that was the whole process but that same summer my uh, my dad passed um right before my wow. eyes um wow. cardiac arrest 
um, you know, I was a kid. I didn't know he had health concerns, nor would he probably have told me. Um, so that was traumatic. <laughs> um, and I laugh about it. I could joke about it now, but, you know, for a lot of my adulthood, I struggled to even tell this story um, mm-hmm. without crying <laughs> hysterically. Um, but that's my, that's my number one why. You know, my dad was a great guy, gave back um, to the community, even though, again, we didn't have anything, but he would mm-hmm. have cookouts, he was a chef, he would bring people into our home, like homeless people, um, and give them, you know, shirt, you know, shirts off his back, you know, shirts from his closet, whatever he needed to do, and that's just how he was, um, as, you know, as a, you know, again, a, a Southern gentleman, that's, that's one, and then number two, when he passed away, there was, there was nothing, um, I think I, I don't I, I don't remember the artist, but I think the quote was, you know, when my dad passed, the only thing I had, oh, was, I think it was Temptations. Uh, when my dad passed, all we had was a loan. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. <laughs> and when he died, yeah. Um, so don't get don't get me started. Yeah. So my why is twofold. Not only to give my dad everything he could ever dreamed of what he wanted from me as an adoptee. Um, and his only son, um, but also the fact that I want people to build generational wealth, mm-hmm. and I believe it starts with us and passing it down to our our children. Um, so that's the reason behind you know better in a lot of what I do, um, and everything I you know I I have him on my wall here. Uh, you can't really see it, but he, he's right here on my wall. And every time, okay, well this is what. This is why I do what I do. Now that I'm full time um, as well, you know, you have hard days. You have, I mean, it's the life of being an entrepreneur. You have good days, you have bad days, more bad days than good days sometimes. Um, and when I wake up and I see him, you know, I, it always constantly reminds me of my why. Why am I doing this? Um, so that's awesome. That's uh, that's the reason why. That's awesome. I want to. That's that's so inspiring because. Uh, in so many different aspects, that's what fathers should be. They should be the the heroes of a child's life, and and they provide that that seed. You put a seed inside you, and that you're you're growing to become become that. And you mentioned generational wealth, which leads me to my next question. As a person of color, what is one of the biggest misconceptions about money, especially when you use the word generational wealth? We I would say like, okay, that just, that doesn't mean anything. It just means like you said earlier, I get the mortgage that my dad left or whatever, or um, some other financial obligation, not a financial blessing. So, so what is one of the big, biggest misconceptions about money? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, so I'm going to answer it uh, this way. Let's break down generational re- wealth real fast, yeah. because I think it's a fancy term that a lot of people use, but they don't really know what that means, yeah. right? So I'm going to use the example of, um, let's see, there's plenty of them, but like the Walton family, right? The Walton mm-hmm. family, they're the heads of Walmart, um, and they have what they call a dynasty trust set up. Um, what that means is that everyone in their family is taken care of, no issue whatsoever, Right. And they all are beneficiaries within that dynasty trust. And what happens when someone passes away, their children take over and they continue to get that income stream. Mm. That is true generational wealth. And that's what we're trying to reach, right? Mm -hmm. So just to kind of set the bar, that's that's like what's going on there. 
Um, yeah. And they're probably if they're if they're listening to this, they're probably hating me for even bringing it up <laughs> because not anyone really knows about that. But like as my as being an advisor, I saw all the time where I'm just like, ah, oh, you're gonna set the dynasty trust makes sense. For so in terms of what we can accomplish, we can accomplish that, but there, there's levels to it, right? Mm-hmm. So generational wealth is how can we not only have the money to pass down to our children and allow that to grow financial acumen to say, okay, well, if I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars a year, are you going to screw it up? Are you going to continue to you know, manage it properly? So it's, yeah. it's the education and the dollar value that comes along with it. Cause we don't want our children to get our wealth and then completely blow it. Yeah. Right. So it's the fact that again, the dynasty trust, they don't just give them the money and say, here you go, right? They have it properly structured through legal documents and legal contracts to make sure that those family members are not messing it up. So that talks about the importance of having a state lawyer, the, the importance of having you know someone who is your financial advisor to you know kind of properly structure it and have the right people in place to make it. Um, but that's the that's the importance of, of generational wealth, and that's like where I hope we can we can get um, and, and make it more of a, a normalized um, topic in a way. Yeah. Um, hopefully, Jay Z and Beyonce, who are also hopefully listening to this, you know, hopefully they have that up for their family um, in order to pass on the, the wealth. So that that is one, and that can be broken down in a lot of different ways. Um, so. In terms of, and I'm now forgetting the question because I wanted to break down generational wealth. <laughs> Biggest misconception um, about money. Misconception about money is mm-hmm. is really that. Um, so the importance of teaching people about money before they get it, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the mismanagement of money, you can say, um, that I see every single day is more from a lack of education that should be taught in the home before they start making money, right? And I was a perfect example. You know, I graduated uh, from college and, you know, you would think I'm, I was an economics major, you know, business, you know, and I would, you would think I know a little bit about money, yeah. right? especially if I was going to work for the largest asset manager in the world. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything, right? Like I knew all the technical stuff. I didn't know how to manage my own money in a way. But if I was taught that along the way, you know, let it be in childhood or, um, you know, when I was in college, then I would have done much better earlier on because those initial years are critical. Um, Mm -hmm. Those initial, when you're 21, 22, you graduate from school and you're making 50,000, whatever it might be. If you know how to manage money, that's going to pay dividends, um, pun intended, into the future. Yeah. Um, versus if you don't, that could put you in a pretty significant hole, um, which you know I, I, I did and I, I've learned from, um, from debt to credit cards um, to you know wanting to impress the Joneses and impress your friends because now you have this job, you made it. So you know for me, the biggest issue was when I graduated from college, no one that I knew growing up graduated. So I wanted to show them that I was making it, right? Like I'm working at Vanguard, like I'm I work on Wall Street, da, da, da. I'm making all this bread. And right. I found myself just swiping my card to impress everyone. Yeah. Um, and then next thing you know, I had this credit card debt. 
And then my student loans are stacking up, right? Because I didn't really understand like the power of interest rates. I didn't know what the interest was on my. So like if you learn all this stuff prior and you know your family's saying, hey, avoid credit cards because here's what interest can do. Mm-hmm. Here's these student loans or here's the concept of student loans. This is how student loans could, you know, kind of eat at your future salary. And then, oh, mm-hmm. by the way, you're making $50,000 a year. Let's talk about tax rates half of that you're not even going to you know a half to a third of that you know you're probably not going to see because you have to pay uncle sam who's uncle sam right so like yeah. if i had that conversation then i would probably have graduated and said i'm not making any money whatsoever i need to build a plan to pay off my debt to budget to invest right put money into a roth ra because my income's lower at this point it's taxed at a lower rate and i'm gonna get you know so if you if you learn all that, which are not all too complex of the topics, then you won't find yourself in that hole. And then over time, you'll find yourself um, you know, better off. And again, those dividends will pay you uh, into the future. Yeah. I think all is, is really critical. No, that's, that's good because it kind of leads us to like, you know, um, why then do, you know, it, it sounds so simple, but it's still like it's a struggle to mm-hmm. to gain that simple knowledge and to me i would say like the misconception is that for money is that it's it's hard to obtain hard to keep and um i just want to live my best life right now kind of thing it was like mm-hmm. no you can you can actually achieve your, your your financial goals if you just apply like you said a little knowledge and a little discipline and or consistency you'll see yourself making financial strides. Um, mm-hmm. Especially in our community, I think we have this misconception that, you know, I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, so I can't make it, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I need, but we're like, when doing our debt-free journey, I lost 20,000 in, in salary, right? So but we're still able to be consistent and make payments and, and get out of debt in 20, 26 or 28 months. Tiffany knows the number, but it showed <laughs> us, it showed us like, it doesn't matter what you make. It's what you do, what you make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so true. I mean, people always, you know, focus in on how much are you making, how much you're making, mm-hmm. but the millionaires out there, you know, a lot of them weren't making that much money, right? They're, they weren't making millions of dollars. Like a lot of them were making, you know, 70, maybe 60, maybe 50. But the difference, and I think people always forget about this, the money that you use to invest or the money that you're, you're able to save, um, the money that you have all comes from not only your salary, but how much you spend. So if you're, I know plenty of people. I remember when I was working in private equity, I was talking to my manager's manager and he's like, how do you save so much? I'm like, because I don't really have that high of expenses. Granted, he was making four or five times more than me. Um, He's saying, hey, like, I don't even remember what the number was, but you know, let's say it was making 300,000. He was saying, hey, like I'm making 300,000 and I spend 300,000. So I don't have that much to invest. So yeah, like it's great to go after these jobs and these promotions and such, but if your expenses are going up as your salary is, you can't invest anything. So for me, I was like, okay, well, if I'm making 80,000, then I want to make sure my expenses are as low as possible enough where I'm happy Mm -hmm. and then use that difference in order to invest. 
and that's what's going to help you to get to whatever your goals are. Um, yeah. So that's that's really critical. Just understanding both how much money you're making and how much you are spending. And frankly, you it's it's somewhat hard to control your your salary, um, mm-hmm. and kind of easy to um, to manage your expenses for the most part because um, a lot of your expenses come through, you know, you know, you can always choose to live somewhere different. You can always choose to not buy that car. You can always choose um, to, you know, do things that can eat at your budget. Um, but you can't always choose to say, hey, like, I want a higher salary, give it to me. Um, yeah. So I try to control what's in my control. <laughs> That's so, yeah. so facts. Like, you can't just go up to your boss and say, hey, I need you to give me, um, you know, 50, 50, 50 more cents on the dollar. And they're like, uh, no. (laughs) As an employee, as an employer, I I had, or as a manager, I had that come to me. Some guy that came to me, he was like, hey, you know, can I get this salary? I was like, you know how much red tape I got to go through to see if I can get you that number? It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, Luckily at Vanguard, again, it was it was a great opportunity to be at Vanguard at the age of 22 through what 27, um, 27, 28. You know, it was it was great kind of seeing like how companies really operate, especially one like that where they run a very lean shop, and that's the reason why you know their ETFs are like three basis points or whatever they are now. Um, so they would always, you know, show us those financial reports and say, hey, like, this is how much money is going to the employees. Here's why we're charging these people this much money and those people this. So, Mm -hmm. and they will tell you, okay, here's the bandwidth of like how much we're able to charge legally based off of like their job description. Mm -hmm. So that was really fascinating because then you can say, okay, well, because I'm doing these three things, I'm getting paid $50,000. But if someone were to, you know, have a higher level of responsibility than they get paid 70000 But here's their band. And yeah. I can't go beyond that band legally. So when I learned about that, I said, okay, well, you're telling me that I can't make more than $70,000 here. Mm. That means that I'm not going to get filthy rich, you know, in the next couple of years. That yeah. means I need to, you know, control my expenses, number one, and then control my, my income, which is completely different from Salary. Salary is what your company says, hey, this is how much we're going to give you. Income yeah. is any other money that you make on top of your salary. Yeah. Um, so learning that concept completely changed my life. <laughs> yeah. So so I want, I want to shift in like using that, um, just riding that wave of momentum. Let's talk about investing a little bit. Let's talk about like what are some uh, investment strategies people tend to overlook, uh, especially if you're mm-hmm. starting from a low income um, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, investing is really interesting. So one good thing that came along with with COVID, there's a lot of bad that happened with COVID, but one good thing is that people started focusing on their finances. They wanted to get into investing, and you know, people can say what they want about Robinhood. Like, I don't know how I feel about them, but I think they did a good job getting people into the market. I can't really speak about their app, but like the idea of getting someone into the market, you know, especially people who thought, hey, like the market's not for me. You know, I. I I think they did a good job with with that. So that's you know number one in my head. Um, but in terms of getting into investing and like what stops people is that they believe that they can't do it. Um, they believe that they can't invest. Um, and I feel like these companies, even Vanguard, you know, has done a horrible job 
looking at those you know different communities and saying you can do it as well mm. so that I, I think that's you know really important but what i have seen from people is that you know you now that you know robin hood has opened up the eyes to people to invest there's a lot of different strategies out there that aren't necessarily ones that most people should go after right so investing one-on-one, like what they teach you as a stockbroker and advisor is that, you know, there's like the risk tolerance scale is really, really important. Like other than like when you're introducing yourself to a client, first question is, what is your name? Second question is normally, what is your risk tolerance, right? And a lot of people don't know about that and they overlook it. Mm. I bring that up because online, there's a lot of conversation about options trading, Bitcoin, Forex, all these like strategies that are really high on the risk scale you can lose a lot of money but you can also gain a lot of money at the same time that's just how it works and i think a lot of people a lot of new investors are falling victim to that and they're saying i'm going to go and i'm going to start doing day trading but they don't realize that they can lose a lot of money um and they don't realize that you know most people don't make out you know on the positive end of, of things like they don't really get a profit so what I try to do and what I try to teach is that you don't have to do all that. Like, that's just like a, a lot of noise that you can ignore. And there's always, for the history of time, there's always been that hot thing that you can do to make a lot of money, but you can also lose money. I think back in the day, it was like penny stocks, right? Uh, which unfortunately are still a thing now, but you can still like <laughs> lose a lot of money. There's no credibility in that company. There's no track record and things like that. So what I've been trying to encourage is that, you know, you have passive investing, you have, you know, ETFs and mutual funds. They're not sexy at all. They're not, you know, I'm not going to have a thousand, you know, 50,000 views on <laughs> Instagram. If I say, Hey, invest into a low cost ETF, exchange traded fund, but you probably would get that for Bitcoin because of, you know, how much the price can go up. So what I try to encourage is ETFs, mutual funds, use that as your core. Imagine it like, um, I think the strategy is called core and satellite. Have your core and that's like the bread and butter, right? That's, you know, eating dinner at, at grandmother's place and you have like a giant turkey, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the core. Got and then you also have the sweet potato pie, you have everything else, but you're not gonna just go to the dinner table and then eat the pie, like your grandma's gonna slap you, right? So yeah. you want to eat the turkey, you want to eat the stuff and all the things that are like, and eat the greens because that's good for you. But mm-hmm. then you have the sweet potato pie that you get afterwards and, and the rolls and now get hungry. But you see where <laughs> I'm going. Like you want that, that core and then you want the, the sweets. So what I try to encourage is you have the ETFs, you have the mutual funds, and then, you know, you get sexy with it, right? If you want to go and buy that, you know, Bitcoin, you want to buy, you know, Amazon, Apple, whatever, like the, the hot stock is nowadays. Um, you can do that, but just make sure it's not the, you know, the, um, the core of your portfolio. Because mm-hmm. you could get, you know, you could lose all your money, right? Or using the analogy, you could get diabetes if you just eat <laughs> like uh, sweet potato pie all the time. Um, yeah. so, you know, that that's really critical. And the millionaires I've talked to over the years, you know, let it be self-made or, you know, they got, you know, their money from, you know, generational wealth. We were talking about earlier. A lot of them were able to make that much money through ETFs and mutual funds. And that's wow. the reason why to Vanguard. Like they weren't going to Vanguard to get individual stocks. They weren't going to Vanguard to trade Bitcoin or 
you know, whatever was cool back in, you know, 2000 and I guess what year was that? Was that 2012, 2013? A lot of the millionaires I talked to were all ETFs and mutual funds and they swore by it. Um, and they, you know, eventually were adding, you know, stock positions and, you know, these private equity funds on top of that. But normally it was only like five or 10 percent. So I try to encourage people to, to model um, or, you know, kind of copy that model in order mm-hmm. for them to grow wealth and not lose all their money um, like it could with some of these other strategies. I like that model. I like the model that the Thanksgiving dinner core centerpiece meal and every all the, the, the tantalizing supplements behind, around it. That's great. Um, I, I do want to, before we go on to um, our final couple of questions, but I want to give the audience a little bit more in the sense, like you mentioned ETFs. What is, what is the, how, how do they get started? Like how much do they need to, to, mm-hmm. to, to open an ETF? Where do they go to get one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just a, a little little history real fast. So you had mutual funds. Mutual funds were the first way that you were able to basket a lot of stocks. So instead of just buying one or two, you can buy 500 and completely own the market and be diversified. Like the name of the game for investing is how can you diversify your assets? Over time, you know, these asset managers, they get paid to make all types of investments and um, make them um, more lean and efficient, right? So they came up with, you know, mutual fund 2.0 is what I call it and, you know, ETFs, right? So some of the quirks of uh, a mutual fund and what people didn't like is that the minimum was too high, the fees were too high, you couldn't actively trade them throughout the day. If I buy, I have to wait until 4 p.m. Eastern in order to figure out like what my, my uh, cost basis or how much, it costs for that security. So if it moved from 40 to 45, I was getting 45 at 4 p.m. Eastern instead of the price I thought it was at that point. With ETFs, if you buy them, you're just going to get that $40. It's not going to fluctuate beyond that. Um, so you get that, that spot price, I think it's called. So they found ways to make it more efficient. There's nothing wrong with mutual funds. It's kind of like the old Buick and like the new Buick. There's still the same infrastructure, but yeah, the new Buick is like nicer. Um, but you know, you, you want to get into ETS because of that, they're a little bit more um, efficient. So I'll put that out there. So if you are a new investor and you're like, how the heck do I get into ETS? These exchange traded funds is crazy, crazy guys talking about. Um, you have all types of different fir- firms that you can open up an account and start getting into ETFs. So you have, you have Vanguard, you have Fidelity, you have M1 Finance, which is like a new platform, um, a newer platform in order to invest. And the beauty of it is you can open up an account maybe even quicker than you setting up an Instagram account. You know, they need basic wow. information. It doesn't take too long. You add in your banking information. I think people really complicated because they're and, and I get it. Like I, I, even I, when I was working at Vanguard, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I'm like, I do it all the time for investors. Um, but you attach the bank account information. And then from there, they're just like, and nowadays they make it really simple. It's not even, you know, they have videos and everything. And, the, you know, you, you put the money in, let's say a thousand dollars and you, they say, Hey, here are some ETFs that you might like. Um, a lot of them have different tools, like Vanguard has a tool where you can 
you know, put in different variables and they'll spit out, hey, like you want to get into VTI or VU, which is the, you know, a uh, ETF that tracks the S&P 500, um, 500 largest stocks, not to get too technical. Um, and then you kind of ride the wave, right? It's mm-hmm. just like anything else. You get started and at first you suck at it. Like I sucked at driving initially um, and over time I got better. And Philadelphia made it worse. (laughs) (laughs) Over time, you get better. But the good thing about the ETF, and I forgot about it, is the minimums are much less than a mutual fund. Mutual fund is like a thousand, at least a thousand to three thousand for the minimum. um, You know, back back in the day. And then now with the ETF, you can get an ETF for a pretty low price, um, depending on which one you want to get into. So Mm -hmm. it provides the opportunity for people who might not have as much, or maybe they don't want to jump completely into the market. You know, you can get in, you know, 15, 20 bucks and you can own an, an ETF. Um, I think, uh, I think VU and VTI um, as of this recording is like close to $400. I think it's less than that as of yesterday. So, you know, it doesn't really cost all too much money um, in order to get into the market, be diversified, and, you know, essentially be in these ETFs that we're talking about. Um, but don't, don't overcomplicate it. And I, I would kind of leave you with, like, just get started. Just try to figure it out um, and ride the wave as you go and try to control what you can. Like you can't control the market. You can only control your contribution amount and, you um, your contribution amount and how frequent you put money into your investments. I love it. I love it. Tiffany, you had something you well, want Yeah, well, you know, some people may say, you know what, I'm trying to live my best life. I'm not trying to look into investing and out of debt, saving. Like, what, what do you, how do you respond to, to people who say that? I mean, it all comes down to like what makes you happy, right? Like, I, I think there's some people out there it's just like, oh no, like they pound the Bible and they're like, you need to invest. Like, you need to invest now. You need to invest for your future. I am not going to uh, try to persuade anyone that doesn't want to reach goals that they don't want to reach, right? So if someone comes to me and says, I want to put money away from my retirement. I think that's a dumb idea. I think it's a scam. Um, and you, you, you can't, you can't coach through that. So I'm just like, whatever. But for people who are open to the idea of, Hey, like you can live your best life, but you can also invest for your future. And they're like, Oh, like, tell me more about that. Like, I'm willing to have that conversation. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, God willing, all of us are going to make it to 59 and a half. And eventually you'll get to the point where you need to retire. Yeah. And retirement dollars, you can't loan, you can't take out a loan for retirement, right? Like you have to have that money put away. And Social Security is not helping you. The government's not helping you, sorry. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that money put away and you need that money from the time that you retire to the day that you pass away. And if you want to pass on any money to your family, you have to have even more money um, in order to you know, make that happen. So mm-hmm. that kind of speaks to like what you need to do now to prepare for that time where you need all that money, that, that nest egg. So, you know, some people say, yeah, like to your point, I want to live my best life. I don't want to deal with that. That's one category of people. But for people who are open to the idea, try to balance it. And it doesn't have to be anything too crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, um, the percentage that some advisors will say is, you know, 20% take, 100% of the money that you make, take 20% of that and put that into investing. 
like allow that to grow into the future. Let it be your 401k, uh, your IRA, um, let it be just your brokerage account, whatever it might be, just let it grow. Um, and then over time, compound interest will take over and then you'll have that nest egg at the end of the day. And frankly, for a lot of us, we won't even notice that it's gone, especially if, you know, if you're anything like me when I was, you know, kind of going through uh, my initial years of making money, I wasn't doing proper money management. So I had no clue what was leaving my account. I knew everything was coming in. I didn't know what was leaving. So, you know, let's say you're putting $20 a week away or even 50 you know, sometimes you won't even notice that it's gone, um, depending on, you know, your, your situation. Um, so yeah, try to live in the now, but also invest for the future because no one's going to hand you any money. Um, no. so it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. No one's going to hand you. So it's like, <clears throat> you have to kind of determine what path. Well, let me say it this way. Cause one thing I was thinking about was, all right, based on what Mark says, 20% going into there, but typically people are coming out, are coming into the situation where they want to invest, but they still have debt. They have a lot of student loans. They have all these other obligations. Would you advise someone who is living paycheck to paycheck to start investing or can they even start investing? So for anyone like that, like me, you know, when I was coming out of school, I was paycheck to paycheck, $80,000 of debt from credit card student loans to um, a car loan. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't start investing at that point outside of my retirement, right? So the, the um, order of operations, if you will, for me and what I teach is get your budget together first. You need to know how much money is coming in and how much money is going out. If you don't get that right, that will screw up everything. Like yeah. it's, it's like building a foundation of a home. Like you need to make sure you have a strong foundation. Like you can have a mansion, a, foundation, a poor foundation, but it's eventually going to cave in. You want to make sure the foundation is strong first before you build that mansion. So budgeting is extremely important. Know where your money is going and then have a plan to pay off your debt. Um, we're in this world where, you know, our, our, parents and grandparents, you know, when they went off to school or whatever, like a lot of their debt was not as much debt that we have now, especially with like the interest rates and everything. So I think the philosophy of like pay off debt and then invest is an old one. Um, however, I do think it's important to, to budget and then put money into like a 401k or IRA. And the reason why is not only do you need to save for, for retirement, but a lot of these companies, they provide some sort of, um, they provide some sort of match. So that's free, well, free money. It's a part of your compensation. So you want to make sure you're getting that compensation because again, compound interest over time, you're going to have double the amount of money if you take advantage of that match. If you put up to 4% and they match 4%, you're going to get 8% every year. So that's the only investing I really did until I escaped the paycheck to paycheck uh, style, um, the paycheck to paycheck uh, world that I was living and I got my debt under control. Mm. But for me, again, you know, I, I think the old style was wait until you pay off all your debt before you do any investing. For me, it's make sure you're putting money into your retirement. And if you so choose to put money into your um, like brokerage account or whatever, just make sure you have a plan. Uh, I know plenty of people who, you know, they're, they have, you know, let's say $50,000 of debt 
They have a great budget. They know where the money's going, but they're also want, they want to invest. And I think that's totally fine. But the people who don't have a plan or living paycheck to paycheck, you know, that's, that's not going to work. Um, another key point is that, you know, our debt is more than our parents and grandparents' debt. You know, there's some people who are, you know, one of my friends is a doctor and he came to me and said, hey, like, I have all this debt. I think it's like $250,000 of debt. Um, that's another story on why our doctors um, have debt in the first place. You should probably, the government should probably take care of that. But yeah. that's another yeah. story. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he has all his debt and he's like, hey, like, what should I do? Like, I should probably just pay out my debt before I invest, right? I said, dude, like, that could take forever. I mean, we can talk about public service, loan forgiveness and all that stuff, but we don't have that kind of time on our hands. So you want to start investing now, your retirement, let it be brokerage as well as build a plan, let's put you on the budget um, so you know where your money's going, but you want to kind of marry those two ideas. And yeah, it might take some time in order to pay off your debt, but at least you'll be investing as well because you want to make sure you're keeping up with inflation and all the other stuff that we talked about at Nazgum. So I guess to kind of sum it up, it really depends. We're, our, our debt is not like our parents and grandparents, number one. Number two, it really depends on your goals. It depends on your plan that you have to pay off your debt. But if you don't have that at all, you shouldn't be investing. You, know, you want to make sure you take care of the structure first before you yeah. start building the house. Love yeah. it. Love it. Mm-hmm. That was great. Good. Yeah. So a, a lot of people... Um, this question actually can go a lot of different ways. Um, when you hear the statement, fill in the blank, your wallet can be better if, mm. how would you end that statement? I would say your wallet would be better if uh, your spending habits match your goals. Mm. So um, I, I think that's critical because sometimes people and this is like a, a scary exercise to do. I remember sh- shedding tears after doing this. Literally go to your bank print and credit card as well. Print out your statements and go line by line and start categorizing like where your money's going. And before you start adding up the numbers, think through like what your 2022 goals are. And there's probably a lot, like especially if you're crazy like me, you do a vision board, like you have like specific goals. And when you categorize all of that, compare it to your goals and see if they match. A lot of times they don't, right? So the, the true happiness or when you're, you're what, how did you phrase it? Your wallet matches your, uh, or how can your wallet be better is when you are you know, matching your spending habits with your goals. You know, the, if you're able to match those, I think that is really the, the holy grail of finance, right? Because mm. again, like if you, if you look at businesses, that's what they do. Every yeah. year, they're like, here's our budget. Here, we're going to spend this much on innovation. We're going to give this much away to the community. We're going to give pay bumps to our people, right? Because we think that they're really important, you know, and they do all of that. And at the end of the year, what do they do? They go and they check the actuals versus the, the budget. And we need to do a better job managing our, our lives, like some of these companies, in terms of finances and, and things like that, not invasion. But <laughs> that's, that's another podcast. Um, but you, know, you kind of have to um, you have to manage your budget in that way, right? You want to make 
to your spending habits or reaching or um, meeting your specific goals for the year. Um, and I think that's when um, your wallet is better. That that's good. Yes, that was the best answer. <laughs> I, um, I couldn't have said it myself better. Um, <laughs> no, because like you said, you know, we have to, the whole thing with what you just said is being proactive and taking initiative mm -hmm. and, and like you said, planning and strategizing. And that's, that's, that could be summed up into a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to strategize. You can do all that. What he just said within an hour, 30 minutes, mm -hmm. it doesn't take mm -hmm. too much time, but it's it's a bigger cost if you don't take the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd be lying to you if if I said as I started off with, I shed a tear the first time I did that. Cause mm -hmm. I realized how much money I was spending on restaurants, you know, buying new things, whatever. And on your vision board, likely you don't have I want to eat more food <laughs> out. Probably don't have I want to buy. Well, yeah. I mean. My, it, it depends. That's my it depends hobby. I like to eat. I gotta most, eat. Most gotta people eat. aren't like, hey, yeah. I want to eat more Indian food, right? Um, <laughs> you know, likely it's, you know, I want to save more. I want to invest more. I want to, you know, give more money to my children, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so it's funny you're like, yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just something that they, you know, kind of keep in mind as you are, uh, as you're managing your finances. Yeah. Um, doesn't, doesn't meet your specific goals. <laughs> Yeah. No, in all honesty, when I weigh the different goals that I have, food is now at the top of the list. But when I think when I think about every day, I'm thinking about what am I going to eat? Or on the weekend, I'm like, where am I going to eat? Like, I just I love food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but and so we have we have a certain number in our budget. And my husband's always like, do we really need this much? I'm like, yes, I want to be able to eat food when I want to eat food. So I guess my monthly goals maybe reflect more eating food, but maybe in the overall scheme of all the other goals, um, it's, it's, it's probably not as weighty as, as, listen, uh, as I listen. Um, Mark, I want to say you your inside scoop. When we, when I did the annual budget, I made sure. Don't get, don't get in trouble, brother. No, no. Don't get in trouble. Oh, he's already in trouble. I'm away from Atlanta. No, I'm not telling you that now. It's not gonna get me in trouble. To like, hey, this is this is your increase. Like, I know you've been saying we want more. Just like here, she was like, oh, thank you. You know, I knew that was important. So, yes, go. yeah, he yeah he did he did boost it. I, I remember that. I forgot about that, but thank you for the reminder. Oh boy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, uh, Mark, it's been really great talking with you and I love your perspective and your, uh, how you break things down for, for, for everyday people. Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit more about what products and services you, you provide at Better Wallet. Yeah. So um, at Better Wallet, we focus a lot on obviously investing, paying off debt, budgeting, which are the you know, core pillars in, in finance, in, in my opinion. But we also help people grow their business as well. So we do, um, you know, promotions on our page. Uh, we also um, have a, a mastermind, which you're a part of, um, where we're helping finance creators eventually go off and leave their nine to five or essentially just manage the life that we live of being finance creators and things that we're teaching, things that we deal with. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, uh, I have this Bear Wallet University community, uh, which is for really anyone in between what I've just mentioned. You know, you're 
um, you know, finance creator and trying to learn a little bit more about, you know, monetization in addition to, um, you, know, you want to learn about investing, paying off debt, um, budgeting. We talk about all of that in addition to real estate as well. Um, so I have a whole host of different products ranging from, you know, just budgeting to real estate, to having a community to talk about all of that. So if you're ever interested, um, go to, you know, Better Wallet on Instagram or thebetterwallet.com and, you know, you can find all those resources there. Awesome. Awesome. Is there anything else you would like to uh, tell our listeners today as we close out? Um, I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. I mean, money management isn't as difficult as you might make it. Um, and the thing about it is, and, and I speak from my own um, reality, I got in my own way a lot of my financial journey. There was a lot of habits that I needed to implement in order to live a better financial future. So what I would say is, you know, kind of give yourself your future self the liberty um, and go and, and remove yourself from um, some of your goals and, you know, try to attack them as hard as you can this year. And then, you know, you're not going to be perfect in the, in the beginning. I definitely wasn't. And I wasn't, you know, I'm still not now. But incrementally, you'll, you'll get better and better at managing your finances. And then as you get better at your finances, you can pass on to your children. And that's how we go about building generational wealth. Um, but it really starts with you getting out of your own way. Love it. That's awesome. Love it. Simplicity of, of, of handling money. You just have to have the tools, the resources, and the will to, mm -hmm. to, to accomplish that. Amen. So you just heard some great tips from Mark Russell from The Better Wallet. If you are still interested in learning more, he is having a free, get this free webinar where he's going to show you three ways to bulletproof your finances and start investing. That's right. So check out the show notes for more information. Well, guys, um, that was a great conversation with Mark Russell with Better Wallet. He gave us so much insight. So go out there, make some changes. So because if you change your mind, you change your wallet, you change your life. This is Jason and Tiffany. We're out.